It's a good song. I appreciate that, Brother Michael. Pray for him. He's got a broken hand. I don't know if you noticed it or not. I was told he was trying to get some cookies out of the cupboard, and Jamie <laughs> slammed the cupboard on his hand and said, no, not between meals. And so I'm guessing that's the right story, if that's what took place. But uh, actually what took place is we were fellowshipping on Saturday, <laughs> playing a little bit of basketball. Somehow he got hurt. I don't know what happened, but... Uh, Anyway, he's going to live. They said he's going to live, so that's always a good thing. So, All right, here in John chapter 14, uh, first is where we're going to look first tonight. So if you'll go that direction, and, and uh, we're going to read these familiar verses in John chapter 14, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus, by the way, is speaking to the disciples, because we know that come from the previous chapter. Uh, Simon Peter asked the question, in verse, chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, I refuse to believe the people who want to say mansions means rooms and that God's just going to give you some room in heaven. I think he's got a mansion prepared for us. And uh, verse number 2, he says, goes on to say, he says, I go, talking to the disciples, he says, I go to prepare a place for you in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I want to preach on that thought tonight. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Now think about what's going on here. Jesus is talking specifically to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And, uh, and I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. In this passage, the disciples, that was in Mark, Mark 13 is where he's talking to those four. But in this passage, he's talking to all the disciples. And he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to come again. I'm going to come again and bring you unto myself. I've got a place prepared for you. Look what Thomas says next in verse number 5. He says, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's interesting that Jesus in verse number 4 tells the disciples, whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. That's what he says in verse number 4. In other words, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. And Thomas immediately says, but we don't know. And then Jesus reminds them that the place he's going is to where the Father is. That's the, he's obviously talking about heaven. And in verse number 6, the verse we quote often, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. Where is the Father? The Father's in heaven. So the way and the where, where is heaven? Way was Jesus Christ. And we often point to these verses when we talk about salvation because Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We don't get to heaven because we come to church or being baptized or living a good life. We get to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for our sin and paid our sin debt. And because of that, we believe and put our faith upon him. And that's what gives us the opportunity to go to heaven. We, we see that all through the scripture. John chapter 3, verse number 6. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. In other words, Jesus being the Son. He that hath, believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son. In other words, you're not going to believe that Jesus Christ is your way to heaven. The Bible says, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. What kind of life? Everlasting life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. I believe the wrath of God's hell. I, that's what causes a person to go to hell. They choose not to believe. That's all it is, is unbelief. And a believing that Jesus Christ died. And tonight, if you're here and you hear these words and all the words tonight, maybe will be to those who are saved, those who know Christ as their Savior. Can I tell you, the first thing you need to know is Jesus. Hey, I want to tell you something. Everything starts to make sense once you know Jesus Christ. I mean, we, people try to educate themselves concerning the Bible. You can't educate yourself concerning the Bible. You need a Holy Spirit to discern the Bible. 
And that Holy Spirit only comes inside of a person once they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so tonight, I want to talk about that one phrase out of John 14, 6, but I want to use Mark 13 as our passage tonight, and that's, I will come again. Father, thank you for your word. I ask again for your blessing upon it as we read it, as we preach it. Lord, again, good clarity of thought, Lord, for all of us tonight. Give us an understanding heart, wisdom beyond our years. And Lord, thank you that you are coming again. And Father, may we be ever mindful of it. Lord, when we get up in the morning, when we go to bed tonight, as we work throughout the day, may we think about your return. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church family, in Mark chapter 13, I'm going to pick up in just a moment. Mark chapter 13 is Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, and he's talking to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew are asking him questions, and these questions are really pointing to, when are you coming? When are you going? These questions of his return. I want you to pick up Mark 13. Let's read just a couple more verses here. In verse number 1, it says, And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. In other words, referring to the temple. Verse 2, And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled. So Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, obviously in sight is the temple. Peter, and, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew are asking these questions. Okay, you said the temple's going to be destroyed. You talk about the stone not being upon other. Jesus begins to answer this, and he does not just answer what's going to take place with the destruction of the temple. He goes on to talk about when he ascends up into heaven. He talks about the great tribulation period in this particular cha chapter. He really alludes to several things. But when he gets to the end of the chapter, he really, he gives this parable, short parable, of how he's coming back again. Now, church family, don't let me lose you, lose you tonight as far as where we're going with this thing. If you're saved tonight, say amen. amen. When you got saved, several things happened. Number one, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came in and dwelt you according to 1 Corinthians 6. If you're with me tonight, say amen. amen. All right, let no one lose you tonight. First thing that happens, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You're saved. You have a Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. It's the one that gives you spiritual discernment. It's the one that opens up the Word of God for you. It's the one that gives you direction. It's that, the opportunity when we witness that verses come to our mind. It's the Holy Spirit that works through us as we're filled with the Spirit of God. But also when you got saved, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When we stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, that's where the rewards are going to be passed out. The second judgment is called the Great White Throne Judgment, and that's where the books are going to be open. And if a, if a person's name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life, they'll go to hell forever, like a fire forever. When you got saved, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When you got saved, you got access to God. Now think about this. God made everybody, and everybody is a creation of God, but not everybody's a child of God. We, there's several children in the auditorium, and several children shook my, shake, shook my hand when I came in tonight. But there's a different relationship there. It's a pastor-child relationship. It's not a parent relationship. I'm talking about me personally. Same thing with you. If your child comes and asks you for something, you are that much more apt to listen and to try to fulfill that need. If a stranger or a different child that's not your own comes and talks to you, oh, that's nice. Go talk to your parents. <laughs> Do you understand that when you got saved, you have direct access to God the Father, there are so many people who are praying prayers and they're praying really to the walls because they're not God's child. It's not until you got saved that you become a child of God. What the Bible talks about being born again. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Amen. If you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, then you're saved and that's the case. So if you're saved tonight, 
Just like Jesus told the disciples, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Now think about that. We use that verse to comfort one another. But Jesus was talking to the disciples. What was the problem in John chapter 14? Why were they troubled? Let not your heart be troubled. He's talking to the disciples. And here's what was going on in John chapter 14. The previous chapter in chapter 13, Jesus had just gotten done telling the disciples, one of you going to betray me. Jesus had just gotten done telling disciples in John chapter 13 that I am going to go away and you cannot go with me right now. Jesus, we already, obviously he was God. He knew that he was going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew he was going to go before the, the chief priest. He knew he was going to be crucified and then he was going to die and then he was going to be buried. And he knew that he would resurrect. When Jesus said he was going to leave, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you the comfort of the Comforter, capital C, being the Holy Spirit of God. And then Jesus said, I just want you to know, I'm coming back again, and I'm coming back for you. We believe that according to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, that Jesus is coming again. Church family, that could happen tonight. If you look at, I want to look with you at Mark chapter 13, and as we read a few more verses here, and you can't, it's amazing. I don't think a person could say, we're not living close to the Lord's return. Look what Jesus said in verse number 5, Mark chapter 13. He says, and Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes, and divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Now, church, I'm going to stop. I might read a little few more verses, but do you understand? These things have already happened. There have been false Christs and people who think that they're the Christ. There have been rumors of wars, even as we speak, Russia and Ukraine, and all the things that are going on and developing because of that. Do you understand that this is the beginning of sorrows? He says, but this is not the end yet. Now, I want to tell you, I'm so thankful that as a Christian, I'm not going through the tribulation period. All these people think they're mid-tribbers. They're going to go halfway through the tribulation period or post-tribbers. It means they think they're going to go through all the tribulation before the Lord's coming back. I, I love Revelation 3 and 4, that lay out a sea and age of not hot, not cold, and then you go to chapter number four, and the door of heaven is open, and the trump is, 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 is blown, and a shout is given, come up hither. We're not going through the tribulation period. The Lord could come back right now, but these things are the beginning of sorrows. These things have to happen before the rapture takes place, and by the way, they already have been happening. Jesus goes on to say, if you'll go down farther in the chapter, look down in verse number 29, Mark 13, verse 29. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say to you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but what? My word shall not pass away. God's word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Verse 32, but of that day and, hour, and of that hour, knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Church, I mean, we don't know when the Lord's coming back. First Corinthians chapter 15, we understand that that shout, that trump, we understand that in the twinkling of an eye, but we don't know when that's going to happen. It could happen tonight. People like trying to judge the times and trying to figure out years and sections of years and how, when the Lord's going to come back, and nobody can know that time. But we know He's coming. 
Jesus said, I will come again. And then when you get to verse 34, and here's the thought tonight, verse 34 through verse 37, Jesus gives a parable to really stress and remind the disciples, I'm going to come back again for you. Look at verse 34 now. It says, for the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Church family, I want to talk to you for just a few moments about the Lord coming back again. You know, when Jesus gave us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that was what we call the what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is called the what? Called the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. What's the good news of? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Different accounts, but all going back to Jesus Christ. We also look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as Jesus' first coming. In other words, when he came the first time, he was born of a virgin. We see another picture at age 12, and of course his main picture is his last, his three and a half years of ministry while he was on his earth. And then we, we look at Jesus at his first coming, and as he, he comes to the, the Mount of Olives, and he, he's about to leave the disciples in Acts 1, we, our verse that we often know, verse number 8, Acts 1, 8, but you should receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you should be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and in the othermost part of the earth. And then the Bible says that Jesus ascended up into heaven, and there was an angel standing there, and he says, what? Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. So we understand the Lord's coming back. And we, and we are supposed to be ever conscious of that every day of our lives. I hope that you've gotten to the place that you use the model prayer as your pattern. As we read, pray the model prayer at the beginning and the end, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. The Lord's coming back again. We close out the, mo the model prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The Lord's coming back. Jesus promised it. He says, I will come again. And again, he could come now. I want to look at this parable again, just kind of remind us tonight, these three or four verses. I want you to think about what Jesus was telling the disciples. Would you look at the parable now with me in verse number 34? And here's the first couple of verse, phrases I want you to look at. In verse 34, the Bible says this, For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. Now, let me just stop I'm a, tonight, really, I just want to look at the parable and kind of walk through it. But the first thing I want you to notice that you see in this parable is you see Jesus Christ. The Son of Man is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he ascended up into heaven, went into a far journey. Church family, the celestial heaven. You have the atmospheric heaven, the celestial heaven. You've got the, uh, God's throne as far as where God is. Can, can I just tell you that third heaven, the Bible calls the third heaven. That's where, that's where God, that's a far journey. No one's been there unless you're dead. Unless you're saved and dead. <laughs> We understand that Jesus is the picture here, that we understand from the scripture that when Jesus died on the cross and he resurrected, the Bible says that he is sitting on the right hand of the Father. He's sitting there right now. He intercedes for us when we pray and we talk to, to God the Father, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, as well as Jesus Christ. They intercede to the Father for us. I just want you to remind you tonight where Jesus is tonight. In this parable, we see Jesus. He's that man that's taking a, a, a gone, taking a far journey. And that journey was Jesus Christ going back to heaven. Look at verse number 34 again. Look what happens next. He says, who left his house. And church, I know that uh, parables is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or it's an earthly story with spiritual principles. But we understand from this story here that I, I really think the picture here is when he says his house. In fact, he says his house in verse number 34. And I think it's in verse number 35. He's called the master of the house. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of any, any other house than the household of faith. I can't think of any other house except the church. 
I just want you to understand that Jesus Christ took a far journey, but he left his house here. This church doesn't belong to you. This church doesn't belong to the pastor. This assembly of believers, if you're saved and baptized, you're part of this church. This church is not the building. This church is not the structure. The church is God's people. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ. The church is referred to as a building. And we understand all of that. But can I just remind you tonight that Jesus says, hey, listen, I went on a far journey. I went back to heaven, but I left my house behind. I want to tell you there's something important about the church. You came on a Wednesday night, even the possibility of it getting cold and snow, but you came out to church tonight because somebody found that, hey, listen, the church is important. It's not just a part of my life. It's the center of my life. So many people want to make excuses why they don't go to church. I don't go to church because, you know, we're spending family time. I want to tell you something. The best kind of family time you can spend is coming to church. It's good for your children to be in church. This is not a time for the kids to color. It's a time for them to be in church. It's not a time for us to clip our nails or text our neighbor or write down your grocery list. It's time for us to come to church and hear the word of God so God can speak to our heart. There's an importance about the church. But you know why? Because Jesus is the master of the church. He's the head of the church. And he's the one that put the church together, whether this church is in Lawrence, Kansas, or whether it's halfway around the world, or whether it's in Topeka, Kansas. It's God's church. Look what else he says here. Not only do we see Jesus and we see the church, look at verse number 34 again. For the Son of Man is a man taking a far journey. Who is that? That's Jesus who left his house. What is that? And it says, and gave authority to his servants. Church, I know that we could, again, make different applications, but I think the authority here, because of what the word means, the Greek meaning behind the word authority here is not like what we would say, like a person in charge. The meaning behind this word means ability, power, or strength. That's a, that English word authority is different how we use it. But what Jesus is saying here, the Son of Man went on a far journey, went back to heaven. He left his house to picture the church, and he gave to his servants authority. He gave to his servants ability. He gave, to, he gave to his servants power. He gave to his servants strength. Can I just tell you, I know all of us have different spiritual gifts, and we're not teaching on that tonight, but the gifts that God has given you when you got saved, those gifts or gifts should be used to edify the church. But can I just tell you what God's given us the ability to do? He left us to make sure that we tell other peoples about him. Can I just tell you, this church should be a lighthouse to others, pointing them to Jesus Christ. I know we go to doors sometimes or we talk to other people and we say, hey, listen, my name is Scott. This is John. We're from the Heritage Baptist Church. But do you understand, we say the Heritage Baptist Church to identify where we're from. It's not a matter of building this church because Jesus already promised in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. We're not, you're, we're not out to get numbers here, church family. We're out here to fulfill the great commission that when Jesus ascended up into heaven, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I know there's nights that it's cold, and boy, by the way, this winter will be over, and the spring and summer's coming, and there's plenty of time for us, again, to try to get the gospel to the lost. And can I just tell you, God gave you the ability to do that. He's given you the strength to do that. Oh, I can't witness. I don't think so, because God gave you the authority to do so. I can't tell people about Jesus Christ. I don't believe that. I know all of our personalities are different, and I know our gifts are different, to it, and maybe that might affect something. There's not a certain gift called the gift of soul winning, but do you understand that God does give you the ability, the opportunities to talk to others and be a witness for Him? Don't leave your house in the morning without saying, God, give me an opportunity and give me the boldness of the Spirit of God. And by the way, don't be surprised when it happens. Not only Jesus says he's coming again, and we see in this particular parable, we see Jesus, we see the church, we see the Great Commission. Look at verse 34. Verse 34, for the Son of Man is, a man, is as a man taking a far journey. Who's the Son of Man? 
He left his house. What is that? He gave authority to his servants. That's the great commission. And to every man, his work. Now think about that, church family. To every man, his work. Now, I don't know about you, but can I tell you what sticks out first of all? Every man. By the way, that's every Christian. Hey, all right, listen, stop, stop putting in your mind, that's the preacher's job. That's the deacon's job. That's the Sunday school teacher's job. That's the bus captain's job. How many saved tonight? Say amen. amen. Then it's your job. It's your job. What is the work that God gave you? First thing that comes to some of your mind tonight, the work that God gave me is my family. God gave me those children. I'm supposed to raise them for you. And by the way, that's exactly right. He didn't give your children to the state. He didn't give your children to a, to a public school. He didn't give your children to a Christian school. If God gave you those children, the Bible says that that was his gift to you. And you ought to make sure that you do everything you can to train them and teach them and bring them with the nurture of the admission of the Lord and, and spend time. And by the way, bringing them to church, that's part of your training, training them. What, else, what other work that might God might have given you? Church, you understand that God has a purpose for your life. And yes, it is to be a witness for him. But can I just tell you, God's got a purpose for your life. What is it that he wants you to do? Are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do? Are you, listen to me tonight. Are you willing to be a missionary? Are you willing to go to a foreign field? You know, to be honest with you, I'm really irritated with some, some, some missionaries, especially of recent days. I don't like supporting a missionary for a year, and they decide that they don't like it over, and they come home. That really irritates the fire out of me. That somebody would raise support for two or three years and have all that financial sacrifice of God's people to get a missionary there and they stay there for a year and decide it's not God's will. There's something wrong with that. So why don't some of us decide we're willing to go? God hadn't called me. Listen to me, church family. I'm not a volunteer type of preacher. I'm a God-called person. But I want to tell you something. I think the reason many, some of our people are not being called is because we're not willing. Listen to me, young people. There's nothing wrong with God wants you to be in a career. There's nothing wrong with you going out. There's nothing wrong with making money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not making money is not the root of all evil. The love of it. But what does God want for your life? Young people, how many times do I have to say it for the pulpit? Are you even willing to say, God, whatever you want, that's what I want? Do you come and sit and hear like the people in Ezekiel's day? They come, they sit, they hear, but they will not do. Are you, are you just a matter of, I do this because my parents tell me to do it. I do it because I have to. Or do you really do it because you have, you're saved and you have a relationship with God and you want God to speak to you and he shows you what you want in your life. All you have to do is say, God, I don't know what your will is, but I'm willing. Did you hear the message the other night from Brother um, Hernandez? For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. I don't have that kind of home, or I don't have that kind of upbringing, or I don't have that kind of education. No, wait a second here. It's not according to that a man hath, it's according to that hath not. What does the Lord want to do with your life? I think if you're older, you should be just as willing. Leave it up to God, not to you. So we see the Lord's coming back. He said, I'm going to come again. We see, first of all, in verse 34, we see Jesus. In verse 34, we see the church. In verse 34, we also see the Great Commission. In verse 34, we see a work. Look at verse 34 now again. 
says, For the Son of Man is as a man taking off our journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work. Now look at the last phrase, verse 34. And commanded the porter to watch. But you remember, I, and the application of it all, from what it looks like to me, if the house and the master of the house, being the household of God, being the church, and God places a porter, the word porter there means a watcher or keeper of the gate. If the porter of the house, I cannot get around the fact that I think the porter's the pastor. It's interesting that Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he says to his disciples, hey, listen, I'm going to read the, verse, the last phrase again, verse 34, and commanded the porter to watch. I think he's talking to the disciples directly. I think he's looking at the disciples and saying, listen here, I've given you a responsibility. He says, when I, now again, Jesus was God, and obviously we read the rest of the New Testament, we see Peter and John, of course, James pastored the church at Jerusalem and was killed by Herod by the sword. We understand that these men went out and churches were started and God used them as pillars, as, as Paul called them, pillars in the church. And he looks at them and says, listen, if anybody ought to be watching, it ought to be you. I think if anybody ought to be watching, it ought to be the pastor. I think if anybody ought to be watching, it ought to be people who are leading people. Can I move the application farther? I think it's a Sunday school teacher. I think a deacon. I think a person who's in charge, a person who's, who's leading people. He's the porter. He's the, he's the gate watcher. And I know specifically in the church, the gate watcher, the word pastor means to pasture. It's talking about the, a shepherd, an under-shepherd watching sheep. The word bishop means overseer. It's the person who's looking over. When you look at the porter, what is he? He's the gate watcher. He's, the, he's the, making sure what's coming in and out. Hey, the pastor should never get wrapped up in things. The pastor should not get wrapped up in people, though he's supposed to love people. I want to take the pastor should be wrapped up in. The Lord's coming back. Amen. My father always said, after making a statement, he would always add on to almost, not every, but most statements, he'd always add on this, Lord willing. I never thought of it when I was younger. But every, when he'd make a statement, he'd preach something from the pulpit. I, don't, I was, you know, Brother um, Dawson used to say that when I reference you from here, I call you church family. He noticed stuff like that. There was something I noticed growing up that I never really thought of until I left home. That dad always, almost always said, adding to whatever he was saying, you know, we're going to go over here, Lord willing. We're going to take that there, Lord willing. We're going to, it's just, it's just almost a consciousness that God, it's up to him. Can I just tell you that when it comes to the Lord's return, if the Lord tarries his coming, we will do this or that. What goes on at the Heritage Baptist Church, I, I, I can't uh, suppose upon tomorrow, boast not thyself tomorrow. We can't do that, but at the same token, every day of our life, the Lord can come back. I think that's a wonderful thing about the model prayer, starting your day. It's just another reminder. He's coming. Look what else he says. He's not only talking about the pastor. If you'll follow me now, verse number 34, let's quickly finish this up. In verse 34, it says, For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. Who was that? Who left his house? What is that? Gave authority to his servants. What's the authority we have? It's the Great Commission. And to every man his work, whatever God's will is for your life, and commanded the porter to watch, the pastor. Verse 35, Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh. That's the rapture. We're going to see the Lord in the air. At even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly, he finds you 
He finds you what? Hmm. You say, Pastor, what happens if the Lord comes back at three in the morning? He's not talking about physical sleep here. He's not, he's not talking about, you know, on one side of the globe, it's gonna, the sun's going to be shining, on the other side it's going to be night, and these people over here are sleeping. And that, boy, it's going to be a shame if God catches you, otherwise we'd have to stay up 24 hours a day. He's not talking about that. He's talking about our spirituality of slumbering, the idea of not being alert to what God's will is for my life, not keeping my sins confessed, not being, not being conscious of a person who might need the Lord Jesus Christ to give them a track or ask them if they know for sure. It, we're, it's that slumbering, that sleeping of the Christian life. It's a matter of, I come to church, but after I leave church, I don't think about spiritual things because I'm not opening my Bible during the week. I'm not conscious of what the Lord wants for my life. I'm, I, 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 by the way, we should be the same every day of the week. We're not Sunday Christians. We're spiritual Christians. Jesus said he's going to come back. He said, I hope I don't find you sleeping spiritually. I hope that you're alert to the things of God and what God wants in your life and your family's life spiritually. The Lord's coming back and we see the rapture so clearly there. Church family, in verse 37, when Jesus finishes this out, I want you to notice what he says. In verse 37, he says, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. But church family, it's interesting because in the last phrase of verse 34 who did jesus say i'm sorry who did jesus command to watch in verse 34 last phrase the porter the porter representing the pastor but it's like when he gets down to the end of this remember now he's talking to the disciples like when he gets down to the end of this he says listen i want to tell you something this is not about the pastor and church leadership he says in verse number 37 what i say unto you i say unto say it again can i just tell you that all of us need to understand, Jesus said, I will come again. Church family, if the Lord came back right now, the trumpet was blown, shout was given, come up hither, and you were to stand before God, would you be happy with your life? Or I should say the life that you lived, past tense. I don't know what we're going to think when we get to heaven, but are you going to think about that last person you had an opportunity to witness to that you didn't? Are you going to think about the Lord comes back and the last thing you did was yell at your, yell at your spouse? Are you, are you going to think about that one of the last services that you could have been in, you didn't come to church? Are you going to think about, I don't know, I, I do know, understand that we are going to have a perfect body and the war of glorified mind, and the Bible says that we're going to be like Jesus Christ. I understand that. The idea of the word watch there, it's interesting because it not only means watch, it means stay awake. Again, I don't think he's talking about physically. I think he's talking about being spiritually alert. Something happens tomorrow and you get upset about it when truthfully, if you were alert spiritually, it would be, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? If you were alert spiritually, it would be in everything, give thanks, God. I don't, I don't know what you're doing, but thank you. You know why? Because everything's got a spiritual connotation because the Lord's coming back. Lord's coming back. You know, isn't it interesting in Hebrews 10, 25? Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Do you know why we come to church? Because the Lord's coming back. Because the Lord's coming back. 
I don't do a lot of funerals for whatever reason. I, I must have to say that's because our church is so young. I talk to other pastors and it seems like they've done tons and tons of funerals. And I've got a large file folder of funerals that I've done. But I'm not like most pastors, and I'm thankful for Don't go dying on us, please. <laughs> but when I go to the graveside, usually, depending on, depending on who it is and what the Lord dictates, obviously, but usually when I go to the graveside, there's one or two passages that I read at the graveside because the graveside is a shortened about 10 minutes before uh, there at the graveside is really short. But John 14, 1 through 6 is one of those passages. The other one's 1 Thessalonians 4. But in John chapter 14, I guess I never really thought about, because I've often used verse number one, let not your heart be troubled, as the person who's at the gravesite. I never connected that Jesus was talking to his disciples, and it goes back to the previous chapter, because they were concerned why they couldn't be with Jesus. You're leaving. You're going to leave us? Why are you leaving us? The Bible does not tell us what Jesus saw in their faces. All we know is Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. I know this bothers you. Don't, 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 don't let it bother you. Yes, I have to leave, but don't let it bother you because I will come again. Church family, does it bother you don't, that you don't think about Jesus? They were bothered because they thought Jesus wasn't going to be with them. Are you bothered when you don't feel like you have the Lord's presence or the Lord's direction in your life? He's coming again. We don't have to be troubled. I will come again. Just tell me tonight's thought, simply again, the Lord's coming back. Decision, I don't know what the Lord would tell you. I think number one, you should be praying every day, Lord, thy kingdom come. I think you need to be conscious of it. If you're not doing that, you need to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to be conscious of your coming. But consciousness of the Lord's coming does several things. There's like eight or ten things in Scripture. The Bible says if we're conscious of His coming, this is what's going to happen. One of them being we're going to go to church, because that's obviously. But just remember, I'm going to tell you something. Just that one thing would help you as a Christian to realize, hey, the Lord's coming back. Ah, what are we going to do? Who, who wins the next election? Just remember, we might not even be around at the next election. You know why? Lord's coming back. Lord's coming back. We don't have that mentality, let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we may die. We have the mentality, the Lord could come back and do everything I can today. I don't know how the Lord spoke to your heart, but may we be conscious of his return. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, prepare a place for you, I will come again. Would you bow your head and close your eyes tonight?